Good morning, Lakeview Church. Oh, man, that's beautiful. I love it. Merry Christmas. I know it was yesterday, but we're in the season of Christmas, celebrating the coming of the Christ child and, and all that that means for us. And I want to thank uh, Justin Simus for reading our scripture this morning. For those of you who haven't had a chance to meet Justin, Justin is our head of school at Lakeview Christian School and is doing a phenomenal job of leading our school over there. And we're so grateful uh, for his leadership and ministry there. Uh, him, along with Becca Schrantz and Sierra and all of our staff uh, at Lakeview Christian School, navigating COVID in an educational environment, as you know, is challenging. Uh, and they're just doing a wonderful job and just so grateful for Justin and his team at Lakeview Christian School. And if you haven't had a chance to meet him, I would encourage you to do that after the service today. If you are new around here and we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Chris Williams and I get to serve as the lead pastor here at Lakeview Church and just so grateful that you would be here with us on this uh, last Sunday of 2021. Uh, and whether you're here in the room or whether you're joining us online, just want to say a special welcome uh, to each one of you, and thank you for being here. If you are new around here and you've never filled out the communication card, I want to just encourage you to do that. That lets us know who you are. It helps us uh, just to be able to serve you more effectively, and we want to be able to do that. And so if you've never filled out the communication card, you can do that today. You can take out your device and you can text the word welcome to 765-222-5937 or you can scan that QR code that's right on the front of the handout that you received when you came in this morning. We just want to encourage you to do that. Again, whether you're here in the room, whether you're joining us online, just to fill out that communication card and then right after the service, we have a gift that we've prepared that we'd love to share with you. And so if you complete the communication card and you're here in the room on your way out this morning, you can stop at the Welcome Center and uh, see our dream teamers back there. They've got a gift that they'll share with you. And uh, if you're online, don't worry. Uh, fill out the communication card and we'll get your gift to you uh, later this week. And we just want to encourage you to do that. And again, if you are new here, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. And I want to just take a little moment. This doesn't count against my message time. Um, so, but I just want to say a special welcome to the Bardsley family, Zach and Brittany and your kids. So good to see you guys. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, when you came in, the masked man uh, went by me and said, good morning, sir. And I was like, who is the masked man? And then I realized who it was. Uh, and uh, so we're just so grateful that you guys are here with us. So, so welcome back and thanks for being here with us today. Guys, we're finishing up our series uh, called Heavenly Peace. We've been walking through this during the month of December, and we've really been kind of wrestling with the reality of Christmas, because Christmas says to us that God has brought peace to this earth, and yet you and I live here, and it doesn't always seem peaceful, does it? And so we have this kind of reality where we read the Christmas story and we're told that God has brought peace on earth and goodwill to men. And then we look around and we think to ourselves, it doesn't seem very peaceful. And what we've been kind of wrestling with during this series is the fact that God has, in fact, brought peace to this earth, that he has introduced peace to this world. And so it's already here. And yet... It isn't fully realized. And so we live in this tension of the already, but not yet. 
This is kind of the life of the Christian, that there are things that are already true, and yet they're not fully true because we haven't realized them in their fullness just yet. And that's where we find ourselves when it comes to this reality of peace. Last week, uh, in this series, we kind of came to an important truth as we recognize that there is a center point of Scripture, a, a kind of central theme that runs through all of the Bible. And in fact, last week we talked about the Bible, the entire Bible, in four parts. Remember, we kind of told the entire story of Scripture, and we said that Scripture begins in the book of Genesis with creation where God creates the world and all that is in the world, and he creates the land and the sky and the sun and the moon and the stars and the plants and the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and the animals on the land. He creates everything, and at the end of creating it all, he says, this is good. And then he creates human beings and puts them right in the middle of his creation. And when he makes human beings, male and female, he created them in his image, Genesis tells us, and he put them right in the middle of his creation so he could relate to them. And at that point, he said, it's very good. See, God created the world so he could create human beings because God wanted to live in relationship with us. And we talked about the fact that, that God would come and he would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He would talk with them and fellowship with them and then... Adam and Eve stepped outside of God's guidelines and boundaries that he had created for the world. They rebelled against God. They disobeyed his commands. And when they did, sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, what it did is it created separation. Right? God had created human beings to live in relationship with him. And when sin entered the world, what happened is the relationship between God and human beings, it was separated. Right? It, it, was, it was broken. It didn't exist like it was supposed to. And in fact, it wasn't just the relationship between God and people that was broken, but it was the relationship between people that was broken as well. Right? Adam and Eve, as soon as they sinned, they're ashamed and they begin to hide themselves and they begin to cover themselves and distance themselves from one another and they hid from God. So when God comes to walk with them in the garden, they can't be found because they're hiding from him. And when God speaks to them, they begin to blame each other because the relationship between them and God had been broken and the relationship that they had with each other had been broken. And so we talked about creation and we talked about separation. And then we said, this is why God sent Jesus. Because God's intent for us was to have people living in relationship with him and with each other, and that had been broken by sin, and so God sends his only son, Jesus, to live, and then to die on the cross, and to be buried, and then raised again, and through his death and resurrection, what Jesus provided for each and every one of us is this opportunity to come back into relationship with God, to be reconciled, brought back to the way things were supposed to be. And we talked about that movement in the story, that part of the story as reconciliation. And then we looked forward to the end, right? Because the story doesn't end with Jesus coming and, and, and reconciling us. There is this restoration that God is working on. And we read verses from the book of Revelation where we reminded ourselves that one day Jesus will return. And when Jesus returns, he will make everything new. He'll make it just like it was in the beginning, just 
it's supposed to be, just like it is intended to be. This is what God has, has asked us to, to work on in this world, that we would in fact be people who would not just be reconciled to God, but that we would anticipate and look forward to and work towards the restoration when God will make all things just as they're supposed to be. The Bible in four parts. And we kind of zeroed in as we looked at those four parts and we talked about the fact that the central theme of Scripture, if you want to boil it down to one idea that Scripture really emphasizes, it is this, that you and I were created to live in relationship with God and relationship with each other. And in fact, this is what God is working on in our world right now. He's trying to bring people back to himself so that we as human beings can live in right relationship with God just like we're supposed to. And that as we come back to relationship with God, we begin to relate to one another like we're supposed to. This is what God is doing in the world. And and as we wrap up this series, this is the point that I want to share with you today, that we are called to live as people of peace. We're called to live in right relationship with God and right relationship with each other. And as a result of that, our mission in this world is to live as people of peace. People who are at peace with God and people who are at peace with one another. This ought to be a mark of God's people. That we would live as people of peace. And so today, just for a few minutes, because I know we've got some kids in the room and... We have some antsy adults as well. And, and so it's not just about the kids. We're going to just very quickly talk about a few things for the kids and the antsy adults in the room who want to get out of here and go do something else with their day, right? So, so living as people of peace, let me just take a few minutes and maybe just suggest a few things that would be helpful for us as we wrap up this year and turn into a brand new year to say what would it look like for us if we kind of stepped up our game in 2022 to live as people of peace in this world. So the first thing that I would say to you as we attempt to live as people of peace in the new year, I would say walk with God. Walk with God. What you were created for above everything else is to live in relationship with God. And so all of the stuff that that you could think about doing in the world, right? All of the things that you could think about that would make your life better, that would make your life more fulfilling, that would make your life more wonderful. And by the way, as you hear that baby crying, can we just remember that Jesus cried? I know the song says no crying he makes, but that was not true. (laughs) Jesus became fully human. He had dirty diapers and he cried. He was a baby which is pretty amazing when you think about it. Pretty amazing when you think about it. Right? We look at our world and we think there are all kinds of things that we could do to make our lives more fulfilling, more, more purposeful, more intentional. I, and I've been doing it these last couple of weeks. I've been looking at how am I going to you know, change things in the new year and how much weight do I need to lose and what's the new workout program and all of those things because I want my life to be better in 2022 than it was in 2021. We all do that. But here's what I want you to know. The most important thing in life 
if you want to live your life to the full, if you want to experience life as it was intended to be lived, the most important thing that I could say to you is walk with God. And some of you need to hear this today because you're not in relationship with God and you need to begin a relationship with God today. There is no better time than right here as we celebrate Christmas together that you would say, you know what? I'm going to begin a relationship with the God who became one of us to reconcile us. And you might need to begin that relationship. But there are others of you in the room who you are a Christian, but you have not been approaching your relationship with God as a relationship. You've been approaching it as a, as a religion. There are things that you believe, there are, there are kind of intellectual things that you've allowed your mind to say, yes, I agree with that, and you think that that has made you the kind of Christian you're supposed to be, because you believe the right stuff, except the demons believe those things too. That does not make you a Christian. And some of you think because you follow through all of the religious obligations that you, you think you're supposed to do, you come to church and, and, and you smile when you're here. At least some of you do. And, and, and you think you do all the stuff that, that your religion requires of you, that you've checked all of the boxes. And I want to just tell you, as we turn the corner into the new year, can you just get rid of that? God is not looking for people who fulfill religious obligations or who intellectually assent to a certain set of beliefs. God cares about what you believe and God cares about what you do, but what God really wants is your heart. He wants you to walk in relationship with him. And I was thinking about this and praying for our church over the last couple of weeks and I was just thinking about what the psalmist says. The psalmist in Psalm 42 talks about kind of his heart for God, and this is what he says. It's going to be on the screen. As the deer longs for the streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? You see, those words are not words of religious duty or obligation. They're not words of assenting to a certain list of beliefs. These are words that are heart words. They're words about desire and longing. And do we really long for God in our lives? Do we hunger for for him? Do we pursue him in relationship? As we seek to live as people of peace, the most important thing that we could do is make sure that we are pursuing God. The psalmist says it another way in Psalm 84. It says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Words of hunger and thirst and longing and desire. I want to just encourage you as we finish this year and start a new one, can we just ask God to help us want more of him? I think it is the most important thing that we could give to our world to be a church of people who long for God, 
whose affections are set upon him, who, who, whose attention is focused in on who he is and that we are walking with him, not in religious observance, but in intimate, close relationship with him. Just like Adam and Eve had in the garden when God would come and walk with them. I think we need that if we're going to be people of peace. Second thing I think we need is we need to learn to live in community. We need to learn to live in community. It's not just about having a relationship with God. It's about having a relationship with each other. It's what we're called to. And in case you haven't noticed, our world is not good at this. We are not good at this. And unfortunately, the church isn't that great at it either. And so our witness to the world has actually been undercut because we're just like the world. Instead of loving one another and making love the defining mark of the community and the people of God, what we have become are people who just participate like the world in kind of undercutting one another and attacking one another and being hateful toward one another. It's not what we're called to be. We're called to live in community with one another. In fact, in the book of 1 John, we're told that if you love God but you don't love people, you don't actually know God. Because if you know God, then you will love people because God himself is love. Now, we could spend a whole series talking about this, and in fact, we're going to in February, we're going to talk about relationship rules during the month of February in the new year. But just to just say in the church, listen, we can't show favoritism. We can't say that this group of people is more important than this group of people. And it doesn't really matter what the characteristic is that you're talking about. You can't ever make a statement like that. Not if you're a Christ follower. Because God is love and he does not respect persons. He, he's not a respecter of persons. In other words, he doesn't, he doesn't lift up one group and say, well, those people are more important than these people over here. God doesn't say that. And since we are God's people, we can't say that either. And this relates to the issue of race. There is not one race that is more important or better than another race. It doesn't work that way. Not in God's economy. Because God created everyone in his image. That means there's not a human being, regardless of their race, that you could look in the eye and say you're less important than someone else or you're worse than someone else, or you're better than someone else. Because when you lock eyes with another human being, regardless of their race, you're locking eyes with someone who looks just like God. We can't show favoritism. And, and we can't lift up people because they've got more education than others, or they've got more money than others, or they've got more status than others. God doesn't care about any of that stuff because the only status that God cares about is that God is on his throne and we are down here. And we're not him. That's what God cares about. 
And so what does that mean? That means as God's people, we ought to break down walls and barriers and live in community. You can't say you love God and, and then not love people. Because if you do that, you don't even know who God is. Because God is love. We walk with God, we live in community, and then thirdly, I think we ought to work for peace. We ought to work for peace. In the largest section of the Bible where Jesus teaches in one sitting is Matthew's, uh, Matthew's gospel, chapters 5, 6, and 7. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount. It's packed full of so many great teachings for the Christian life. But right at the beginning, Jesus offers these statements of blessing, that you'll be blessed if you do certain things. We call them sometimes the Beatitudes. But they're really just statements of blessing. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Jesus says this, God will bless you if you work for peace because you will be called children of God. God will bless you if you work for peace because you'll be called children of God. When God looks at our world, what God wants more than anything else is he wants us to live in peace. He wants us to be reconciled to himself and live in peace, in, to live in a right relationship with God. And he wants us to be reunited with one another and to live in community with each other. This is what God wants for us. And so if we want to be considered children of God, it only makes sense that we would work for what our Father is working for. To join the family business, to join the family mission, which is to see everyone in this world reconciled to our God and to see every person on this planet reconciled to each other. This is what God wants. And so... I want to just kind of take you to a passage of scripture that's been real helpful for me over the last few weeks as I've been kind of studying and preparing for this message. It's Matthew chapter 18. And these verses are not going to be on the screen. I'll give you the references on the screen. But, but I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, to turn to Matthew chapter 18. So we're going to look at this chapter real quick here. And I'm going to just share with you kind of three ideas that I think are really, really important for us to think about as we work for peace. First, Matthew chapter 18, as I read Matthew 18, what I realized is that God talks about the beginning of Matthew chapter 18. He says that there's a shepherd who has 100 sheep. And he's got 99. They're already safely in the fold, but there's one sheep that's missing. And what does the shepherd do? Shepherd leaves the 99. He goes to look for the one that is lost. And when he finds the one that is lost, he brings it home. And, and, the, and Jesus says that the shepherd is more excited. He's celebrating more and more about the sheep that was lost that is now found than the 99 who were never lost. This, these few verses in Matthew chapter 18 really speak to this whole idea that, that God's on a mission to find the people who are lost, the people who are separated from relationship with him and to bring them back. That's what God cares about. And though Jesus doesn't say it this way, this is exactly the point he's making. And this might hurt some of our feelings for those of us who are in the church, but Jesus actually cares more about the people who are not in the church than he does about the people who are in the church. 
Jesus will get to spend eternity with you. But if the people out there who aren't in relationship with him don't find a relationship with him, they're lost forever, and the relationship can never be restored. And so while Jesus is glad for the 99 of us who are here, his heart is longing for the one that isn't. And so when we think about for peace, I think it's important for us to serve as an ambassador. This is what God is inviting us to do as his people, to serve as an ambassador. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God who loved us and reconciled us to himself and gave to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As if God were making his appeal through us, so we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Do you see what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, oh, you've already been reconciled to God. Now you have a mission. Your mission is to, to be a minister of reconciliation, to be an ambassador for Christ. Go and take this message everywhere you go and invite people to be reconciled to God and in fact recognize that you are God's mouthpiece in the world. How will lost people know that God loves them and wants a relationship? Well, they'll only know if you tell them. This is how God has decided to work. So when you want to be a person who lives as a person of peace, you want to work for peace in this world, you got to tell people that they can have a relationship with God. In fact, you can tell them that the most important thing that they could do in their life is come to know who he is. And I just remind you, for those of you who live here in Grant County, we live in a county of about 70,000 people, and 42,000 of them right here in our county claim no religious affiliation at all. None. It's not just that they say, I'm not a Christian. It's that they're nothing. So the other 28,000, there's a group of them that claim other religions that aren't Christian religions, which means the majority of people that you come into contact with on a daily basis as you move throughout our county do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our mission field is really, really clear. Tell the people all around us who Jesus is and how they can have a relationship with the God who created them. How do we work for peace? Serve as as an ambassador. Secondly, resolve conflict biblically. Listen, when you get human beings in any kind of close proximity to one another, stuff happens, right? I mean, you get mad at one another, you say the wrong thing, you offend, you, you didn't say the thing you were supposed to say, you didn't say anything at all. Someone uh, came and said to me uh, just a little bit ago that, that they had seen me in a restaurant and I didn't acknowledge them. And, and it was an honest mistake. I didn't see them. And so we had just had to have a conversation because this person thought that maybe I was ignoring them. I wasn't ignoring them. I just didn't see them. When it comes to food, I have tunnel vision. I just... <laughs> I just, I just narrow in on, on what the task at hand is and, and I just block all, out all the rest, right? And we just had to have a conversation, which we did, and everything is fine. It's resolved because what that 
person thought I was intending was not what I was intending, and just a simple conversation solved it. But I want to tell you right now what happens so many times when human beings get together and we, we have those offenses. We rub each other the wrong way. Conflict begins to happen and it repels us from one another. And if it's not that we could ever stop conflict from happening, it's going to happen. The question is when it happens, what do we then do with it? And Jesus has told us in Matthew 18 exactly what we're supposed to do. And listen, the world might not know about Matthew 18, but we as God's people ought to set the example for the world on how to resolve conflict. Jesus said very clearly, when conflict arises, here's what you do. When someone offends you and there's conflict between you and another person, you go to that person. And you have a conversation, and no one else needs to know what that conversation is about. So if, if I have something against Jared, right, and, and we have a conflict, it doesn't make any sense for me to find people in the congregation to talk about Jared to. It doesn't make any sense at all. Because all that's doing is trying to rally people to my point of view so that I'll feel better about my position and you will feel worse about Jared. Right? And so what that creates is divisiveness in the body. It doesn't, doesn't bring peace. It brings division. And so what I do is I go to Jared in private, personally, face to face, and we have a conversation. And because we're both followers of Jesus, there's a really, really good chance that we're going to resolve it and none of you will ever, ever know about it. And that's exactly how it ought to be. Because we've resolved our conflict the way Jesus commanded for it to be resolved. Now, there are some instances where going to a person doesn't resolve the conflict because we literally see it two different ways and we can't seem to come together to resolve it. And so what we do at that point is then tell everybody and their brother, no. We find one other trusted brother or sister, just one. We keep the circle of the conversation really, really small. And we go and we have that conversation. And with the help of a trusted brother or sister who has a different perspective, that's not my perspective, and it's not Jared's perspective, we begin to have hopefully some help in resolving the conflict. And there's a really, really good chance that when three people in the presence of God get together and work through that conflict that we can bring resolution to it. But, but there are a few very few cases where, where even that doesn't work. And then at that point, we would go to the formal structures that have been given inside of the church, those who are leaders, the elders, and, and those who serve to give guidance and governance to the church. We go to them, and we present the issue, and we lean on them, and we submit to their authority to say, help us resolve the conflict. That's the way Jesus commands it to be dealt with in Matthew chapter 18. You want me to tell you how it normally gets dealt with in the church? Jared and I have a conflict. I go find 10 of my closest friends who, I'm, who are most likely to see it my way. I, I present my case. I don't present Jared's side. 
Because in this instance, I don't really care about Jared's side. I just want these people to know my side so they'll stand with me as I stand against Jared. And, and what I'm doing is stirring up dissension. I'm causing people to form an opinion about Jared without ever hearing Jared's side of the argument. And, and if the conversation ever happens between me and Jared, which it probably won't, but if it ever did, I'm going to basically refer to the army of people I now have on my side of the argument to say, Jared, I've talked to all these people and they see it like I do. Right? And what happens is we create this conflict. And this happens in the church. It happens all the time. And can I just say for, for Lakeview Church, can we just put childish ways behind us? Can we actually, in the new year, just can we just make a decision that we're just going to grow up into maturity with the help of God's Spirit? And we're actually going to obey the commands of Jesus in Matthew 18. If we have a problem with a brother or sister, we go to that person and we have a personal, one-on-one, -on -one, private conversation. And because we both love Jesus, there's a really good chance that we can resolve it. And if we don't, we'll invite a trusted brother or sister to help us. And if that doesn't solve the problem, then we'll turn to the elders and those whom God has put in authority over us and we'll ask them to help us and we'll submit to their authority as God has asked us to do inside of the church. And could we be an example to our world of what to do when conflict arises instead of just acting like the world and stirring up division? See, working for peace means that we serve as ambassadors. It means that we resolve conflict biblically. And then third, it means that we practice unlimited forgiveness. In Matthew 18, Peter asked this question, hey, Jesus, should we forgive people seven times? And Jesus says, well, not seven times. It's more like 70 times seven. And, and you got to understand what's going on here. See, the standard teaching of Peter's day by the rabbis was, was that if you were going to forgive someone, you could forgive them three times. It's a good biblical number, right? Three times. That's what the rabbis taught. You can forgive someone three times, and after the third time, you don't need to forgive them anymore. Three times is enough. So what Peter's doing with Jesus is saying, Jesus, we kind of get it that you always are raising the standard. So, so if everybody else teaches that it's three times, should we forgive seven? See what Peter's doing? He's like, this, like let's have a higher standard because we're Jesus followers. And Jesus says, oh, Peter, you've misunderstood the whole point. Because what you're trying to do, Peter, just like the rabbis of the day, is you're trying to limit forgiveness. And Jesus says, it's not three times and it's not seven times, it's 70 times seven. Now, Jesus wasn't saying, forgive someone 490 times and then on the 491st time, you're free. You don't have to forgive them anymore. Jesus was picking an astronomical number to basically say, when it comes to forgiveness, there's no limits. Jesus then tells a parable to reinforce the point, right? There's this king and the servant who owes the king a lot of money, like more money than this person could ever pay. And he goes to the king and he begs for forgiveness. And the king, in grace and in generosity, says, debt is forgiven. The servant is thankful, of course, because now a debt that he couldn't pay has been paid. He's been set free from his obligation. And so then the servant gets up and he leaves the presence of the king and 
when he walks out on the street, he sees a servant who owes him money. Except this is like 20 bucks. It's not that much money at all. And the servant who's just been forgiven looks the other servant in the eye and says, pay up, buddy. And when the guy says, I I don't have the $20 to pay you, the servant that's just been forgiven throws that servant into prison. This totally backfires because the king hears about the story. And he actually reinstates the debt on the servant that had originally been forgiven and he throws him into prison. And then Jesus says, this is exactly how it will be for you if you don't forgive those who sin against you. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, you had a debt that you couldn't pay. You couldn't pay it. And God in his generosity forgave you that debt. So don't get up and walk out of the presence of the king and make other people pay the debts they owe you. You ought to forgive them just like you've been forgiven in grace and in generosity. This is what we're called to, unlimited forgiveness. And some of you today have allowed unforgiveness to crawl up inside of your soul and it's produced a root of bitterness. And that root of bitterness has driven you away from people that you love. And it's driving you away from the relationship with God that you're supposed to have. And what I would say to you is, let it go. And no, kids, I'm not gonna sing, let it go. (laughs) Amen, amen. But that's what we ought to do, right? We have these debts that people owe us, and they owe us. They've wronged us, right? Some of us have been wronged. Maybe we've been offended. People have said hurtful things. Maybe we've been wronged with with violence. People have hurt us. They've abused us physically, emotionally, spiritually, sexually. All of these things might be true in our lives, but we have to let those debts go. And listen, letting the debts go doesn't make that person right. What they did is wrong. They owe us something. What we're laying down is our right to collect on the debt. And why would we do that? Well, because Jesus says we should. And as his people, that's what we ought to do. So I want to just encourage you to begin the new year with no one owing you anything. Just forgive them. Let the the debts go. And what you'll find is freedom. Forgiving those people doesn't make them right, doesn't excuse their behavior. It just sets you free. And as you begin a new year, I just want you to be free. Now, as we close this morning, I want to just take you to the first few verses of Matthew chapter 18 because I think there's a key to these ideas that Matthew 18 talks about. You see, when we think about serving as an ambassador, we think about resolving conflict, we think about practicing unlimited forgiveness. If we're gonna do any of that, there's a key to it all. And it's right in Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, Jesus uh, is asked a question, what does it look like to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In other words, who, 
Who are the top performers in the kingdom of heaven? What's true about their lives? The disciples want to know because that's what they want to be. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus takes a little child, puts the child in front of them, and says, God, be like this. God, be just like a child. He explains a little bit further when he says, you got to become humble just like a child. And if you become humble like a child, you can become greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You want to know how to be a person of peace in 2022? We have to ask God to make us humble. Because, you see, humility is nothing more than thinking, thinking of yourself less and thinking about others more. And if you're not humble, you will never care more about lost people out in the world than you care about your own life. You just won't do it. Because we are prone to think about our lives first. But humility says the other way. Think about them first. The same thing is true in conflict. If you're not a humble person, you will care more about being vindicated then you will care about bringing resolution to the conflict. And if you're not a humble person, you're going to care more about collecting the debts that other people owe you than just letting those debts go. But if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, if you want to be an ambassador and you want to resolve conflict biblically and you want to practice unlimited forgiveness, you got to become like a child. you got to be humble. Think less of yourself and more of others. As John said, I must decrease and he must increase less of me and more of him in this world which is why Paul in Philippians chapter 2 writes these words to us do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit rather in humility value others above yourselves not looking to your own interest but each of you to the interests of others and your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. And he became a human being. He took on human form. And he became a servant. A servant who became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why would we, as we begin this new year, seek to become humble people? Because we serve a humble God. Which doesn't even make sense to say. But the fact that God would become one of us to redeem us, to reconcile us, to restore us. That's who God is. And we're his people. And we're called to be humble. So I want to challenge you as we wrap up this year to ask God to make us more and more like Jesus. And as we begin the new year, let's walk with God. Let's live together in community and let's work for peace. Let me pray for us. God, thank you 
for Christmas. There are lots of things we love about this season, but the center point of it all is the fact that God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And that humble act, the humble act of our God sets an example for us. So would you make us into humble people who live as people of peace in this world that doesn't always seem so peaceful? And God, as we do that, would you use us for your glory and honor and to advance your cause of redeeming and reconciling and restoring this world to everything you want it to be. For what you do, we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.